Hey, everybody. Welcome to the roundtable. I am Mike Hill. We're missing Jennifer today. She is sick, so you can all be uh, praying for her. We have Nick, our producer. We still don't have a camera for him. That's the thing we're waiting for, so everybody can get him. And we have <laughs> Miss Janet here with us today. Uh, and I, again, I have been, when I saw this one on the schedule, I'm like, I have been looking forward to this forever because i'll have to tell you a little story okay. so here's here's the thing <laughs> out of all of the people that have ever come to life church when you came to life church i was like what in the world <laughs> is miss janet doing <laughs> here because the funny thing is is like when we first came to plant the church you were the you were kind of a mentor to us of trying to figure out how to do children's ministry, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, people in the community, that's whatever. When I came, everybody in the community would be like, if you want to know how to do children's ministry, and it might've been bigger than that. It might've been youth ministry too. I don't remember, but yeah, but it was like, you need to go see Miss Janet. You resources on like VBS stuff and helped us do things that small starting churches can't do without yeah other people and so i i was like miss janet's here wow like yeah crazy. i was honored when i was invited to do that huh? so i was honored when oh, i was invited to do but that. that just doesn't happen much that's all i'm saying okay. you know what i mean like if you look around in the church world that tends not to be mm -hmm. a common practice where churches share resources to help other churches hmm. especially churches that are just starting yeah you know, and trying to get off the ground. So we'll get to your whole story, but tell us a little bit about you from the standpoint, what do you like to do? What are you passionate about? Are you a reader? Do you watch TV? Are you like, what is it that excites you right now in life? I do a lot of copying scripture. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> I really do. Is that kind of like your devotional deal? Like you? Uh, I do it during devotions, but I do it at other times too. Okay. Why copy um, it? Help you remember, well, or is it just a? I I don't. I n have trouble memorizing scripture. Right. And I feel like if I see it, hmm. I'm also saying it, and my hand physically is right. writing it, and then I have it to look at hmm. but i also think there's a possibility that someday we may not have easy access to scriptures Ooh, you're thinking ahead so, um yeah. you're thinking so, from the days when they come and take all of our bibles oh i think it's a possibility yeah and i also think what if somebody finds a scripture someday that needs it hmm. i'm kind of prayed ahead for the hands that it might fall into oh wow like i've taken uh just one of the god no no, I did Martha, Mark, Luke, John, X, Romans. I think I've I've gone uh, not quite all the way through Revelation of just not word for word, yeah. just copying mean things, but trying to put it on a four by six card, really uh, front and back, very tiny writing. <laughs> but you have good writing, so people will be able to read it. <laughs> it's it's weird, but I've bought. Um, tiny microscope or tell us magnifying yeah. glass yeah magnifying yeah. glasses yeah. that big word <laughs> um, I've got them in a container next to that 
I've got them separated by books of the Bible and so on and so forth. Has this been a lifelong thing or something this lately? I've always underlined, since I gave my life to Jesus, Hmm. I've always underlined Bibles. Right. And I've always taken, uh, not as a teenager, I didn't take copious notes, but I've always taken copious notes. Yeah. You see my head down most of the time. I think you probably think I'm not paying attention, but <laughs> I take take a lot of notes of scripture. Um, but some of the scriptures I'm copying for my family in another way. And hmm. just the word is alive. Right. And I'm a believer in it. And so I don't know. It is. I, it's a weird. Do you watch hab- TV? Yeah. Do you? I, I watch. I don't really watch shows, but my TV <laughs> has YouTube. Okay. And uh, don't tell me you are a YouTube person. See, I thought old people don't have like do that <laughs> stuff, but you just broke the whole barrier. <laughs> like old people use YouTube too. Yeah, because it's easy. Okay. It's easy. So I go through like I um, today. I just listened to some scriptural. Um, hymns. Okay. And uh, just sat for a little bit, quiet my heart before I came down here to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you watch like uh, Stephen, my son in law, has YouTube TV, which I yeah, think he YouTube. watched. Yeah, it's, I think it's he... on TV. Okay. Oh, I can never do it on my phone. That's too complicated. <laughs> but um, there are uh, pastors I like to watch. Okay. And, do you have um, a favorite? Um, well, Francis Chen recently, I've yeah, kind of really enjoyed him. Um, about five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always think Francis Chan's story is so amazing. Like the idea that he had this huge church that nobody would walk away from and he walked away from it. Yeah. You know, cause there's always the conviction of like, am I really making a difference? Yeah. But you just kind of keep going because it comfortable but yeah. I mean to walk mm-hmm. away from all of that mm-hmm. and then I don't say it's been a lot harder but yeah. I mean his journey after that of trying to figure out church and you yep. know yeah because after I read crazy love I'm like holy cow yeah that that is a that is a good yep. book so any movies do you have a favorite movie probably would be one of the <laughs> Uh, Princess Bride. I love Princess Bride. Princess Bride. I've never heard of it before. Is it a new movie or an oh, old movie? Oh, it's older than old. And, okay. You know, I was kind of a strict mom, I think my boys would say. And they were going <laughs> to show it to youth group. That was the one we just had. Okay. DVDs. And uh, I was kind of giving them the one-two. Mm. I bringing this movie in for the youth group and, uh, and mom, watch it. Watch it. Watch, watch, and so once watch you did, you were hooked. I've watched it many times. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, and I've got a date to watch it with a friend and next week. Yeah, so how long were you a children's pastor? 18 years at Eight, College Park. 18 years. So mm-hmm. differences in kids today? What's the biggest difference in kids today? You worked um, with them for 18 the years. The difference is... The conversation about uh, video games. Huh. And uh, see, I give piano lessons too. Okay. So I have 12 students, a couple of them are adults uh, or young adults, but 
I always have a little conversation mm -hmm. with them before we get started. Um, and sometimes parents call me to just meet with a child. Mm. But anyway, um, a thing that I can't talk about, but a thing that they're happy to talk to me about <laughs> is video games. Hmm. And I worry a little bit about too much investment of their okay. brains. Uh, into electronics or in general? Into... Where uh, um, they're not investing their Blasting brain. people in smithereens and... <laughs> So the video games where they're shooting and killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm, massacring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but kids still want to be loved. Mm. That that hasn't changed at all. Right. They like to have attention. They like to have you be interested in them. And uh, so th they have more stress on their life, though. Mm. More worries. And COVID did quite a number yeah. on us few years ago so but kids are kids right kids still say funny things and right. do great things and right do you think it's harder to reach kids today than it was in the past a, a little bit because here I'm trying to tell a story about miracles and they're seeing miracles in their video games mm. and um but I still think there's a hunger and thirst in the heart. Yeah. And when they hear truth and see it lived, um, there's still that. Right. There's still that. Yeah. yeah. So either way, whether it's electronic influence or whatever it was back right. then, there's still a desire of every child to be loved, yeah. to be accepted, yeah. to be included, to be yeah. brought into. Yep. Yeah. Because I think there's a... I think we've leaned towards this idea that kids have changed from the standpoint of because they're isolated, like they grab their phone and they go to mm -hmm. the room or they have yeah. video games in their room. And so, but I think what still never changed is, is like you might think they want to be isolated, but they really don't. Mm -hmm. Right? They don't want to be. They're finding community in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that scares me is you're finding it community. Me too. Yeah, you're finding community alone, right? And you're finding it in ways that could easily be changed. And, and I think anybody who can invest in children, I just saw the musical uh, Homeschoolers um, just did Sound of Music mm. in Fort Wayne. Perfect production, wonderful. But a line, I've seen this so many times, film and on stage. Mm. And a line that I had never picked up on before is the mother of the Abbey is talking to Maria. When she comes back, she's very conflicted about something. And the mother of the Abbey says, where does God want you to give your love? Mm. I think uh, that is true. We need to think about where do we want to give our love? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because if um, any person that we can give that love to, if God lays that on our heart, right. that's what we better do. Yeah. And um, even though I'm a lot of decades old, <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I find it interesting that if, uh, um, I, hire, I try to hire kids that I think, hmm, maybe I can have a little ministry to. Right. And uh, that goes from elementary to college. And, um, but I find that they're pretty open. Hmm. They, they, they respond to love. They right. respond to attention. And right. um, I think if that's where our heart leads us, that's where we better. Yeah, and I think we give up too early. So yeah. like last night we're driving home from youth group, and so Faith and Kate are in the truck. And so you know, the immediate thing they do is, right, they pick up their phone. Absolutely. So I'm like, how was youth group? And what did you guys talk about? And we start having these discussions. And we got onto this discussion about, I don't know how, about communication, like how they communicate. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that they never really text message, that they always Snapchat. And so then it led into this conversation of, like, I really want to get rid of it because I always have this pressure to feel like I need to respond and I need to, you know, always be engaged. And then, and then they both brought up, do you remember when we went on the mission trip last year mm. and we went on the mission trip and we couldn't have your phone mm-hmm. and I felt so free mm-hmm. and so good. And I think we, because we see them self-entertain mm-hmm. and we don't like, okay, well, I guess they don't really want to talk. No, I really think they do. Like, I think they do want to talk. They have something to say. Yeah, I just think we give up. Or yeah. we, who have talked all day, are like, <laughs> I don't want to talk anymore. Or, we, right. you know, we don't want to try to generate something that will pull them away from their phone. Like, yeah. force them out of that. Right. But the funny thing is, when they get out of it, they're like, oh, man, I mean, I mean it just feels so good to not yeah. have the, yeah. I can't live without it. You know, that's what they say. But when I'm without it, it feels so good. So it's like that yeah. that dynamic. And I think we just have to work harder at mm-hmm. placing our love mm-hmm. where it belongs, oh. right? And pulling out of yeah. those places. Mm-hmm. Favorite childhood memory. Are you from around here? Hillsdale County, Michigan. Okay. Just up over the line. Yeah. So tell me about your childhood. Oh, it was. Or childhood <laughs> memory. Something that was. It was idyllic. Okay. It was almost embarrassingly good. It was the perfect <laughs> Yeah. Older brother and sister, li- we lived on a farm. I had the most wonderful, amazing parents you could have. So were your they- parents were farmers? No. Really? I loved to drive tractor. I loved... What? Miss Janet is a tractor driver? <laughs> well, what? I couldn't drive one of these monster tractors. <laughs> oh, no, they drive themselves. I yeah, that's true. They don't even have to drive But anymore. I far preferred being with my dad, either in the barn or in the fields, okay. than anything else. Didn't like the garden much. But <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. But I loved the animals. Okay. And yeah, it was, it was a great way to grow up. So is that your favorite memory, is just being on the farm, or did you guys do something as a family that was like... Yeah, we worked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But um, three meals a day, two of those meals were always eaten together. Hmm. Breakfast was kind of whoever, and yeah, because it depended upon the milking and just things, school and everything. But uh, we always had three meals a day for summertime, or weekend, and they were they were great experiences. Hmm. Mom, for instance, was a fabulous cook, hmm. so every meal was delicious. 
And um, it was dad's way without, I don't think he thought he was, but it's the way he, that's the when he taught us. Hmm. And so. Like around the table. At the table. Wow. Meals were never rushed. Hmm. Uh, they were never, he sat there after a meal either. We did later on. Right. But um, meals were never rushed. Food was never rationed. We never had to eat anything we didn't like because there was always something you could eat on the table. Right. But um, I think of Deuteronomy when it says, teach wherever you are, yeah. whatever you're doing. Yeah. If the right. opportunity avails itself, right. you know, that's when you teach. And so if there was a moral issue in the community or something we knew of, uh, never not age appropriate, but my dad would say, well, I think the Bible says about that. Hmm. And you just listened. Or if something in government, he was very well versed. He, it's, it's crazy to say dad had an eighth grade ed, uh, education because he had to quit school to help farm. Right. There were nine kids and he fell in the bottom three, third from the bottom. But anyway, uh, he had to stop because the older kids were gone. Uh, but he never stopped learning. Mm. And he, <laughs> he was the, uh, it was the only household I was ever in that had two sets, complete sets of law books. Dad would sit and study the law. Are you serious? I am dead serious. And I never thought anything about it as a kid, but as an adult, I'm thinking. Yeah, why would you study a law book? Why would you study a law book? Mm. And he, uh, there were two lawyers in our town that would call Dad and say, Herb, when are you going to be in town next? We lived 11 miles away. Well, I'd like to have you stop in. I'd like to talk about, I'd like to have you go over something with me. Oh See gosh. how that compares with the law, what That's, in your mind. Yeah. That, that was just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and Mom... Uh, her mother died when she was five, and then the stepmother was killed, I think, when mom was a f in a horse and buggy and train accident. And um, so she had to quit school after fifth grade to take care of the house and the cooking and her little brother. Wow. So, and I, th I really think the reason she was such a good mom is because she never felt like she was a good mom. And hmm. she prayed constantly. I didn't know that until I was an adult for several years. Hmm. And she said, oh, I prayed constantly. I prayed constantly. And she was so full of wisdom. Wow. So, that's awesome. Yeah, I, so do you think the, because that's kind of gone away, right? The idea that people are going to sit around a table even one time. <laughs> You know what I mean? So <laughs> snarf and go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you don't have those opportunities. Is that good? Is that bad? Is, I mean, should we strive to try to have those moments? Well, I think so, but life is very different now. Hmm. And, um, you know, when kids are in all sports and all arts and all everything's, right. uh, somebody's always got to be somewhere. Right. And I did everything there was to do, except for sports. I did everything <laughs> there was to do, but I don't know. There, yeah. It just was different. Right. So did you 
go to school? Did you stay at home? Like, I mean, go off to college? Yeah. You I did? came to Huntington. Oh, you did? Because Huntington was our church college. Okay. <laughs> and things are so different now. That's so funny because the girls come now and come as early as they can. And then their moms and they, most of the time, sometimes it's a roommate they or they plan ahead of time who's going to have what color bedspread and hmm. what color the curtains are going to be. Um, with me, with me um, they were farmers. Yeah. And um, friends dropped me off at college. Are you serious? <laughs> it wasn't like come and help you get moved in? <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty simple. Yeah. I just found out where my room was. and. But you always wanted to go to college? I just assumed I would. Okay. Just assumed I would. Uh, my grandmother had been a teacher before she had children. And then uh, I had an aunt that was pretty influential in my life. She was a teacher. And <clears throat> my mother couldn't go to college. But it was kind of just assumed hmm. that I would. So what did you go to college for? Elementary education. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. So you were an elementary teacher? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. So go to college, is that when you meet your husband? Is Actually, that you... I met him when I was 16. What? No, I met him when he was 13. I was 13. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so you guys were like high school sweethearts? Different schools, but yes. Well, how'd you meet? My brother-in-law ran a grocery store. Okay. And he was carry out. And, and you're like, I like, <clears> the, sister, I like the bag boy. <laughs> he was the bag boy. <laughs> and and uh, during the summer that I was 13 and feeling very grown up, my sister needed to work in the store. They'd had a change in help. And uh, so I was babysitter. So it just made sense to go push Greggy downtown and hmm. be in the store yeah again go, go check out the bag boy <laughs> <laughs> we just came for a little bit yeah, yeah just came to say hi to mommy and daddy so did he go to college then too he did what here mm -hmm. he came to Huntington mm -hmm. like was that pre-planned were you guys like having that discussion it was just assumed okay because uh, in the United Brethren Church in those days you always had speakers from the college come to your church quartets, any any special music group. Uh, That's how that was college recruiting? Is the college came to your church? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. So it was just assumed. I had never I, heard I that had that before. and one other college in mind, and when I found out by calling the other college that if my roommate slipped up and did something wrong that I had to tattle on her, I thought, nope, hmm. I'm not capable of doing that. Right. So... That was how I made the big choice to come to <laughs> So he was here before you? No, he took a year after. He was a year ahead of me in school, and he took a year to, to take some training in um, being a railroad master. Uh, it was crazy. It was very different with railroads then, and he learned tele, telegraphing and all kinds of stuff, lived in stations, but he, it was a course he took for several months, and then he used that to work his way through college. So you dated all through high school? Is that would be considered uh, back then? On. Okay. So he was. So then you got to Huntington at the same time. We did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then through all of that, 
Did you guys get married in college? Like, how, yep. how did the story Summer go? after sophomore year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in that, was he always planning on being a preacher? Yes. Oh, so that's what he went to college for. Yes. And we used to have a seminary here. It was a three-year seminary. Okay. Yeah. So once you guys get out of college, where do you go? So when I, so I started teaching when I graduated. I taught three years here. Oh, here in Huntington. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and um, I think it was his, after he was in seminary a while, he, he would get asked to speak in churches. Mm. But then he preached at the County Line United Church of Christ, which is now County Line Community, I think. Mm. And um, were there a couple years, loved it, loved the people. And he was a church grower. Okay. Uh, he always led in improving the uh, facility. Hmm. That was he was kind of a builder at heart, but he was a wonderful Bible teacher hmm. and um, charismatic. Uh, also loved people, and he would do anything to have a chance to witness to somebody. He would roof a barn with somebody. He would uh, bale hay or mow hay, right. whatever he needed to do. But if he knew there was a, uh, something going on in the household where maybe the wife came to church and the husband didn't, he would just make himself available, and some of those people came to know the Lord. Hmm. So obviously, you know, some people know you guys' story from watching Lance's film, The Wayfaring <laughs> yes, Stranger. Yes. But I'm interested in, so in the story, you know, you see him kind of take a, was good, but then kind of take a turn for the worse. I guess that's a yeah. lot of what, not a lot of what you see. I don't know. Well, you see, know it's there. Yeah, I mean, you see you some of those there. things going on. So are those yeah. things you noticed as his wife early on? When uh, we could both look back and realize that his mental illness uh, started, as the books say, at puberty. Oh, really? But as a girlfriend, I just thought it was because of the situation in his home life. Huh. His father had mental illness, and he number of times would wake up with a knife at his throat. His and, dad? Yeah, his dad. His mother and he um, hid behind trees and vehicles and everything to get across town to get to the pastor's house one night because they thought they were both going to be killed. Hmm. And uh, she was crippled, and uh, Doyle was the fourth. He was the youngest of the children, and he was 10 years younger. So all of his growing up life, he knew her as being very crippled and, mm. and disabled. So he took a lot of the care of her. And uh, so when he would be depressed, I would just assume it was because life was overwhelming. Yeah, things are going Because it was to me, well. it was big in my brain. I didn't right. know anything about these sorts of things. And uh, he could look back and see that he was actually in a manic stage at the beginning of his senior year because he 
<laughs> he had saved enough money to buy an old Mustang and had it totally customized. And in his adult life, he realized that didn't make much sense. Hmm. And so the manic stage, I don't even know what that means. Meaning like you manic make... Is a, it's a, there's a chemical situation where uh, the chemicals in the brains don't stay stable. So like if you have a good day, let's say you have a fantastic day. Hmm. Everything is coming up roses. Everybody has smiled. At once a doctor, one of the psychiatrists asked me one time, he said, how often do you have, and he describes the status, and, I don't know, maybe once every four years or something. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, if you had that daily for several days, would you want to take any medicine that made you feel normal? No. Hmm. This is a great feeling. And uh, so untreated, the, that's, a ma that's a manic stage. Got it. Where everything, you can do everything, uh, there's no challenge, you don't need sleep. Right. Maybe stay in bed two or three hours just right. to please people around you. Right. But uh, you don't need sleep, you've got super energy. And he was extremely bright. Hmm. So the manic um, stage... Um, sometimes was a blessing mm. in a weird way because he could think of the most phenomenal ideas and then have a way to make it work out. Right. And it was always regarding the churches. Right. That's how we accomplished, I think, all of the building projects. Because you guys became church planners or church revivers or... In a way, yeah. Yeah. He, he stirred up all the churches he went to and... So did you travel around a lot? No. Okay. No. No. He pastored here and then we were called to do something that only a person with this disability <laughs> or handicap could do. The denomination had many small, small churches. And a lot of country churches are still very small. But uh, they had four churches, I think, within a radius of 17 miles. Mm. And called Doyle, senior year of seminary, from our home conference, United Brethren Church is divided into conferences. For instance, mm. we had 30 churches, I think, in our conference at wow. that time. It included a little bit of Michigan, a little bit of Ohio, a little bit of Indiana. Right. And... Um, they said, we have a big, big thing we want to ask of you, but you're the only person we can think of that could possibly do it. Um, there were people talked about he would be bishop of the denomination someday. I mean, he garnered a lot of confidence in people. Mm. And when he was good, he was marvelous. Mm. And um, what people usually didn't see was the downside of that. Right. And he was depressed and couldn't get out of bed and couldn't eat, couldn't much of anything. But anyway, they asked him to take on, us to take on four churches. So he preached at two churches on a Sunday morning, the third church on a Sunday night, and somehow it rotated around. So there'd be one Sunday month, I think it figures out, that you didn't have any preaching. But the other churches were it was assumed that they would go to the evening service so right. they'd have one preaching service 
I'm telling you, we were, that was a crazy time. Yeah, so a couple things that I want to process is, so I'm just assuming this, over the course of time in your marriage, Mm -hmm. there had to be some bad times. Oh, boy. Right, like some just where, yeah, so again, Bad with capital letters. Yeah, I mean, so (laughs) a couple different things. One, I don't think it's easy to be a pastor's wife. Right. Like, I don't think that in general, even right. when things are good, right. is an easy position well, to be in. Well, and assumptions were very written in stone. If you could play the piano, you did. Yeah. This, this is just bizarre. At one time, I led the choir, played the piano, uh, taught a Sunday school class, and then in the evening service, I told a children's story. Right. And in one of the churches, I was the program director of their Women's Missionary Society. Right. And I did friendship counseling in between and led the youth group. Yeah. that's the, And again, <laughs> I, it's funny because, you know, when I grew up, even when I was growing up in the Methodist church, it was always that way. Yeah. Like the pastor could sing. You know what I mean? They're up there preaching that's and they're right. like, oh. They go off, and I'm like, dude, if I ever want to be a pastor, it's never going to happen. I like, ain't belting out nothing yeah. from, but they did it. Like, they yeah. could do it. They could, well, they thought they could sing. It yeah. really wasn't that good. Yeah. But, and then the wife was the choir director. She played piano. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is when we decided to church plant, Sherry's like, ain't no way. We're fa- like, we're not the typical couple when it comes to church planning like I ain't singing and she ain't playing piano you know or any of that stuff but anyway so there's an expectation there then there's this like he is this way at the church but it's this way at home and you're taking the brunt of that so covered a lot yeah Uh, it was necessary um he I, t- I tried a few times to just suggest, because see, his two brothers also had the same thing. Mm. And I said, because uh, I'd heard on Dr. Dobson mm-hmm. that they had some new medications, and uh, I didn't dare bring it up because he would get very upset. I am not going to be like my father. Mm. And his father lived in our home for seven years, I think. So we had him too. And <laughs> uh, anyway, he he would not could not accept the fact that he had this illness, that there was medication that could help him level. Yeah, so for sure. he wouldn't go into the depths of depths. Right. And um, he uh, finally. Probably maybe maybe ten years before he died, um, when he was hospitalized, accepted a medication that you c- could alter. You mm. didn't take the same thing. Granted, the medication his father was on kept him like a zombie. Yeah. So he saw his dad like a zombie yeah, every day sure. when he was on it. When I didn't find it in his shirt pocket. Right. So the so the thing that I want to like help people walk through is so yours was an extreme case, right? Like it you're, was an extreme case. You are living and dealing with struggles. Yeah. In None your... of my family, my parents didn't even know it. I think they saw things they didn't know or didn't speak of. Right. 
because uh, they were always very discreet. They never interrupted anybody's marriage or, or ask driving questions. But uh, yeah, so if you could speak to, because again, people listening or watching, there are, again, your case is extreme, but there are lots of couples today that are struggling, you know, and so as a wife, yeah. how do you journey through, how did you journey through those times? Like what got you through? Only God. Okay. Because I felt like I had to protect him. Hmm. And by protecting him in a way, I was protecting the ministry. Hmm. Um, and then unless it was extreme, where we had to call in, sometimes I had to call in on Sunday morning hmm. to get a fill-in pastor. Right. And uh, But unless it was extreme, uh, it could be covered... But could he love you well through that? I mean, how did that part go? No. Okay. No, he. It's um, that illness is is very self centered. Hmm. Uh, not maybe not always. Right. Because a doctor told me one time he was hospitalized in Michigan in, in a pretty bad condition, and the doctor told me he was everything in the book. Mm. If you would read a book about manic depression, he was everything. Um, finally, uh, when we moved to Fort Wayne, uh, we from? were from Michigan, nine oh. years in Michigan. Got it. And that was when the building, the okay. building project took place and miracle of how that was built mm -hmm. took place. So he was, um, he'd been suicidal and... Uh, we were we were at a conference, and he didn't. We were at a conference for pastors and mission missionaries, and because you know you just it's assumed you do counseling. Yeah, sure. So I call it friendship counseling, and I don't remember what the seminar was called, but it was Rosemead, California. Dr. Clyde Naramore, who started kind of Christian psychiatry. And it was a wonderful opportunity. I was desperate inside. Mm -hmm. I was just absolutely feeling desperate. And a man in our church who was very wise had realized Doyle was having some problems with, with depression, so he paid our way out there. Mm. We went by train. <laughs> but, wow. But, but we went, and he paid for the whole seminar and everything. Mm. So as we're there, um, we can still keep a lid on everything, he didn't come in till I think it was 4.30 in the morning one morning, and, you know, no cell phones. I know nobody. We're there right. with a bunch of strangers. And um, when he came in, he wouldn't tell me. But then everybody took a psychological exam near the end of the three weeks um, and got the report back early enough. You would meet with a counselor and go over it. Well, in case you wonder, I passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I don't Everybody know. I probably snuck just right in. Yeah. But then Doyle came, and we had, and the husbands and wives had different uh, people. So he went in for his appointment pretty close to the same time I did it, the same day. He came and got me, and he said, Dr. So-and-so wants to see you with me. So I went in, and 
man, this guy was not fun and games. Hmm. Oh, no way. He said, if you lived in California, you would be in a hospital right now. Because he had stood on a bridge and contemplated jumping until those hours of the morning. So the decision was made. He was going, so they put him uh, together with a doctor in Fort Wayne that they highly recommended. So we moved to Fort Wayne. Hmm. So eventually. Still I, pastoring? No. Okay. Yeah, so for the. Secular job. So for the for the wives out there that are desperate and feeling alone and walking through their own faith journey, was it through prayer? What Did you bring anybody else in with you? Like, That's what I would do this time yeah. if I had it to do again. Okay. Because uh, it was prayer and it was scripture. Right. And it was clinging. Mm. But you didn't have, you weren't able to bring in community. Not like one people. single person. Ugh. And finally... At Blackhawk, we had a psychologist on staff, psych psychologist on staff, and um, we were still living together. He had left many times, but he'd only leave for a week or two, and mm. kids always thought it was work and this kind of stuff. Um, and with this condition, they tend to do everything to extremes when they're in the manic. So. Um, finances was a serious problem hmm. because, as I said, he was the extreme. Right. So if you bought an old car, you might buy five. Oh, <laughs> We had our names on five houses at one time. Lost every one of them, including the one we lived in. Oh. Because I was always told, you do it. Hmm. Um, so when it looked like we were going to be homeless, but weren't, God provided. Uh, God provided in a great way when we lost the home. But uh, I finally went to Dr. Nichols, and he was my source of strength for a while. Hmm. Uh, and then when Doyle finally filed for divorce, it had to be known because the kids had to know. Right. Then he didn't divorce he was gone for two years, but didn't divorce. He gone for two years? Mm -hmm. Like you didn't even know where he was? Yeah, we knew where he oh. was in Florida. And well-meaning people, <laughs> when we still were letting people think he was just there for two, he'd lost, he'd invested in a company and lost it. So that was another huge debt. Okay. And we'd lost the house and... So when he left, um, he was actually following another woman to Florida. But I thought he would come back. Right. Um, everything for the family. Okay. And I'm in it for the long haul, you know. And did uh, you ever process getting divorced? You? No. no? Death, yes. Process divorce, no. Death. He was in many car accidents. Okay. <laughs> this is terrible to say. You want me to say this? <laughs> yeah, yes, go ahead and say it. You were hoping that he got killed in the car accident. And I would say, God, you've wrapped him around so many trees. That would be an honorable way to die. Mm. Nobody would ever have to know right. the other things. Right. And instead of that, God let 
the dirty underwear beard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, so your faith journey through all of this, growing, struggling, I mean, talk, because again, that, that's a lot of life circumstances that are going on. And a lot of it. You know, when we're tested like that, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, one one night I was in the grocery store, and money was so stinking tight. And he said he would send money back from Florida, but I don't think he was making much money anyway, so that right. didn't happen. And I was teaching at the Christian school, Blackhawk Christian School, and um, there just wasn't enough money to go around, and... I wouldn't ask for money and didn't let anybody know money was that tight. Hmm. Anyway, I was in the grocery store, and it was one of those things where you're thinking, do I buy peanut butter or bread? Hmm. And I came to an aisle that nobody was in the aisle, and in a voice spoken, I said, God, I know you love me, but somehow I need to hear you say it. Hmm. And immediately he reminded me, that the man who carried our life and Doyle's life insurance, godly, blessed man, had called me into the office and mm. said, I notice you haven't been making the payments. He knew about Doyle's debt structure. Mm. And he said, Janet, this is just too dangerous. And I said, I, I, I just don't have it. Right. I just, I can't. Right. And he said, tell you what, let me cover the payments mm. until you get on your feet. Well, when I said, God, I need to hear your voice, immediately that picture came to my mind. Mm. I thought, I've already heard your voice. Mm. Say so you love me first thing this morning when I got to school. And I felt like making a commitment to him, I am going to be listening for your voice. Mm. And this is the honest to goodness truth. For six months, almost to the day, God brought something unusual into my life that, that only the Holy Spirit can help you recognize that I knew was God smiling. Aww. One was a co-worker that never smiled at me. Mm. And we weren't in the same uh, realm mm -hmm. Of work, or uh, but we were under the same roof. Hmm. Blackhawk was very large, seventy some on staff at that right. point, including teachers. And every time I would face that person coming down the hall, I think, "Oh gosh, do I speak? Acts like it's a burden if I speak. What do I do? What do I do?" Right. Gave a great big smile, and it was just like I knew in an instant that was God. Right. Once I had. Um, how many dollars worth of stamps left in my mailbox at school? Who does that? Hmm. It was hard to afford stamps, and we paid all our bills by envelope, you right. know. Once somebody from the church came and plowed out the driveway that I didn't even know they knew where I lived. We lived seven miles out of town. And it was, it was sometimes big things, sometimes little things, but hmm. there was something every day for six months. He was, he was just incredibly good. Wow. So I kind of lived on those and, um, and his word and, and so did, how did the kids respond? I mean, were they <sighs> ever like, 
what is going on? Are you okay, mom? Or what's happening? Or I mean, I <laughs> just start trying kids. to figure out how you as they, a mom I balancing all of life. I and didn't. Then, huh? I didn't. I did the best I could. <laughs> I, I tried to support them in every way and everything they wanted to do that didn't cost money. Right. We didn't go out to eat, that's for sure. Right. On game nights we did. Yeah. Lance played basketball and Troy's the boys were involved in sports and band and choir and so there were things. Um, so I, I know I lacked, mm. I know I lacked cause I was just, well, we all trying lack. To catch the point is God makes it up. Well, you know what? Uh, after Doyle filed for divorce, I saw my kids on the junk heap of life. Mm. I thought I'd taught too many kids who had gone through divorce and I just saw them like they were dying. Right. And, um, so I went to Lowell E. Becker, godly Christian psychiatrist in Fort Wayne. And it told him, and he's, he said an example that I've used with many other people. He said, Janet, just spread your fingers up like that. He said, you've got 10 fingers, but look at all those gaps in between there. He said, let me tell you, every two-parent family has gaps. Hmm. You cannot meet every need in your child's life. Hmm. He said, you have the benefit of God, the Holy Spirit, yeah. filling in those gaps. Hmm. He said, pray for godly people to make up for where they would have otherwise. Right. And so, weird as it was, one of the kids, uh, Troy's one of his friends would take Troy to operas. Who hmm. takes a middle schooler to operas? <laughs> right. And Troy sang opera for several years. Right. And um, um, I suppose if I asked Tom Cashin to this day, he would say, yeah, I think he started a camping trip, wilderness camping trip uh, for Lance his junior year. Oh, really? We were losing Lance. Lance was just angry and lost yeah. and typical. Yeah. Right. And uh, they had memorized so many scriptures. It was, talk about memorizing a scripture. Whoa. Right. But they all wanted to go camping. And then he had it ordered that they spent so much time alone, alone, alone hmm. with their Bible. And that was a huge thing for him. And then he... Um, then he went on a missions trip, mm. and his senior year was, he, he, in a way, he was the uh, kind of the campus spiritual leader. Oh, wow. Yeah. David Jeremiah was very slow to give up the pulpit to anybody, <laughs> and he had Lance speak one night in really? church. Yep. And Sunday school classes had him speak. Like the David Jeremiah, the famous guy? He's from uh, around here? He was then. He was our pastor. Really? He was a pastor at Blackhawk? I had no idea. Yep. Wow. Because yep. he's like, I won't say famous, but I mean, I hear his well, name. Well, he's, he's worthy of trusting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Lance was a bit of a mischief, so he found interesting things to do. I didn't find out until um, he was a professor at the college when one of his friends came and he said, 
Remember when we used to crawl across the ceiling? And Lance got the funniest look on his face because we met in the gymnasium before they built the new church. So and Mike was a custodian as a, as a senior. Mm-hmm. So he would, had a key to everything. So he had a key to the belly crawl across. And they would be, and the ceiling wasn't solid because it was a, a stage in the gymnasium yeah, for multiple right. purpose. Right. <laughs> so they'd lie on their bellies and watch Dr. Jeremiah preach. Really? Yeah, Lance never let me know that, but Mike kind of let it out thinking we all could laugh about it. <laughs> so, But b- he was, Lance turned into a godly young man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end. So I want to talk through, as we're ending it up, this pivotal point. So you get a divorce, right? Years and, later. Yeah. So we came back, and we were together for 10 years. Right. So you're in a Christian school, in a Christian ministry, doing teaching Christian classes, yep. and you get a divorce. And for you, how did you work through that? Because I think some people feel like, well, I got a divorce, and if I couldn't hold my marriage together, or if these things aren't right in my life, then I'm kind of disqualified from serving. So well, how Black did you... Well, Christian, I thought I was disqualified. I went to all of the people in leadership as a group. I asked for the group to meet, and I said, I think I'm a bad example at this point, and I don't believe I should be teaching anymore. And, they, and one by one, they just started speaking up, absolutely no, right. absolutely no. Right. And then I was working at the Christian school in Michigan, um, long stories in between, but I was back at a school that we helped start, mm-hmm. and I was principal, and Doyle left one night and left a note and said he was gone, and, um, and he was. And so I called the board together, said again, I think I need to be replaced. I think this is this is not going to speak well for the Christian school. And once again, bless their loving hearts. Mm. Um, they said, "No, right. please do not do that. We right. are, we aren't going to accept your resignation." Right. So, um, it w- it was just hard. That's all I can say. Right. It was hard. And there were days it was hard for me to read my Bible. There were days I didn't read my Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, God, <laughs> God just didn't give up on me right. and I didn't give up on God. It right. was just like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm tired. Right. My soul feels like it's been beaten to a bloody pulp right. and I'm tired. Right. Well, I think there's two <laughs> things that are important for me. I think so many times with people especially in the church, they get very critical and very judgmental when they have no idea what the situation is. And the other thing is they don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Because probably uh, I wasn't hurt by words of judgment. Um, My biggest hurt came from them not knowing what to do with me. Right. So conversation was awkward for a while. Not with the parents of the school. Why? Right. I don't know. Right. The parents just poured out love. They right. were great. But people in the church, some of them had difficulty. And um, 
they weren't mean at all. Right. Not at all. But I, I just, just think that's what I, yeah. Either way, I think the struggle is is we don't know how to we don't know how to be with broken people. That's right. Like we don't know how to have a conversation with that's broken right. people because we forget we're broken. Yep. You know, we forget yep. that we are also broken. And and some people who've been broken, like I was, uh, are still not healed, as was evidenced by them rather talking about their story right. and how horrible things had been. Right. And I grew to, I just listened. Right, right. <laughs> but I think the other part of it is, so I think one thing we can learn, obviously, is, is we all need to remember we're all broken people and situations yep. that... Too many times, we don't even know. Like, yep. we don't know the situation. Yep. We don't know the what's The big going. D was, though, kind of the worst of the worst, we, right. I thought. Right. But <laughs> now it's all kinds of things. It's not even all just divorce. It's it's a lot of things that have happened in our present and in our past that sometimes, yep. as a church person or as a Christian, you struggle with understanding. Yep. Right? Like, you don't understand. How could that be possible? You don't yep. know how to relate. And so, not even that you're judgmental, you you you're kind of distant. You don't know what to say, just like you were saying. And I think we need to remember, we need to know how to be with broken people. Yeah. You know, and you need, need to know they need love. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like we've got to <laughs> uh, be able to provide Of the leadership, that. um, leadership in the denomination that didn't know how to handle me. And yet I had to be the one to go and turn in some of his reports and things. And right. Yeah. It was difficult, but I will say, uh, one of those most difficult times, a guy that I barely knew, pastor, but he saw me coming back from that dreadful long walk of turning in a report, mm. and because uh, Doyle had been back in the ministry again, and he stood in front of the door, and I thought, oh boy, oh boy, and he put his arms around me and he said, Janet, I want you to know we love you Aww. and we are praying for you. Aw, that's <laughs> awesome. It was a healing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, healing. and two, your steps, because that's the other part. What we need to do and then yeah. as people on the outside, but even for you to say, like, I'm going to have the courage to keep going. Like, regardless, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay in the game. Because oh, yeah. a lot of times when things happen in life, people just exit. Yep. You know, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, it's too much, you know, things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, and they kind of exit. Well, you did the complete opposite of exiting. You, like, dug in and have dug in and have continued to dig in. and <laughs> are digger. Well, and again, and you're to this day continually doing ministry, right, and affecting people's lives. So I, I think that's awesome to, to show that regardless of what's happened to us in the past or what's happening to us mm-hmm in the present that God can continue to use us oh, to reach can. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could give parting wisdom, you got lots of it. If you could give any <laughs> wisdom to people out there, any words of wisdom, any... Well, for one thing, if you're going through a very difficult time, ask God to let the Holy Spirit direct you to some one person that you can trust. Mm. That's good. I think if you have at least one person that you can trust that cares, maybe doesn't mind hearing the same story over and over again because mm. you run that story through your mind a gazillion times mm. a day. Yeah. Especially when you go to bed at night. Yeah. I wasn't good enough. What should I have done differently? Mm. Why, 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 why? 
But if you can find one person, one, one person who knows the Lord and that you sense can care about you mm. and is in it for the long haul. Yeah. I just, I recommend that. I ran, I um, facilitated divorce care for 15, mm. 13 years, I think it was. Wow. And I encouraged people every time, mm. get somebody yeah. that can hear your story as many times as you need to tell it because you'll see it from a different way every right. time. And the other thing is to um, just stay in the Word. Mm. Claim some verses. I got so I copied cards mm -hmm. of scriptures or Christian poems, kept them in my purse, and if I was at a basketball game watching Lance out there and just felt overwhelmed, I'd pull those cards out and read mm. them. I just, his word is alive. His wow. word is alive. We've got to believe it. Yeah. Because it does something. I didn't always feel better, but I knew it did something. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So just as a, for everybody, recap, whatever you're going through in life, find somebody, find that person that you can trust, that you can continue to go to over and over and over again and don't feel bad to. about it mm -hmm. don't feel bad about That's sharing right. your story over and over and over That's again right. and and I, again i think those words of wisdom too of having the word of god with you mm -hmm. and being available to it doesn't fix a problem but it does do something to the soul when we can remind ourselves of yeah. what is true yeah because the most of the struggle i think is when even though we know what's true, lies creep in, right? Like, oh, man, and so yeah. when you when you can pull out the word, and you can mm -hmm. remind yourself, I mm -hmm. know what I'm feeling, but I know what's true, mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily always fix it, mm -hmm. and it doesn't make you be like, oh, I'm just so much better, but it does mm -hmm. do something. It stabilizes the, yeah. you. It strengthens you in your inner self, as right. the scripture says it will do. It yeah. does. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So everybody, it, when this comes out, make sure that you like, share, or comment because it'll come out on Facebook. Uh, if you want to go watch it, there's an opportunity. There'll be a link to our YouTube so you can go on and, and watch so that you can uh, get to know Miss Janet. If you've never met her, I think you're a second service person. It depends or is it back on who I'm bringing to church. Got it. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're in first or second service, watch this. If you haven't watched before, that way you can know who Miss Janet is and make sure that you come and say hi to her. Because, again, I think full of wisdom and what I love is you've never given up. Like, it doesn't matter your age, where you're at in life. You've never given up on the idea that you're on this earth to disciple, mentor, and reach people for Christ. And mm -hmm. I think we all should learn from that, that you don't age out. Right. You know, and you don't get, you're not out of the game. Right. You're always in the game That's until right. he calls us home. So, mm -hmm. again, make sure you like, share, comment, and make sure that you come up and say hi to Miss Janet. Mm -hmm. And we thank everybody for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.